Over the years, with Sherman Tyne on death row and Herzog's eventual suicide in January 2012, the families were left in limbo with no answers. When Herzog was convicted of the murder of Cindy Vanderheiden, Cindy's sister Kim was shocked. This was a family friend, and she had in fact dated him for a few years. How could he do that to them? Kim emailed Herzog's wife, Sugar, a few times, and they did actually meet up in a cafe once. I do believe that we even met up in a restaurant one time, Sugar and I. I mean, we had a lot of people, like, in different booths. I think Rob was there and a few other his people were there and Pam was there. I don't know about disputes, I don't think they wanted me on that property when I showed up one day. Sugar was, she was protecting her family and I get that. She was in denial, I get that. But at the same sense, she needed to realize that he hurt somebody we loved and that we were gonna come at her, her family, her husband, her kids, whatever the case may be, because we wanted answers. So yeah, I would say that we had disputes. We had a few questions for her. She wasn't very forthcoming. Again, this is hard because I don't remember a lot of that. I have chosen to block out a lot of what has happened. And I think that is because I don't want to relive it. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night dreaming about it. But I want everybody to know that we have to get the awareness out there. We have to educate these people on who and what is capable of doing these murders and who and what is capable of abducting somebody or killing somebody. And that's why I do what I do. It makes me sad that I have blocked out a few things, but I can tell you that Rob may remember what we talked to Sugar about. You know, we just needed to hear her side of the story, I think. To give her the benefit of the doubt I mean, she was a mother, you know, and I'm not condoning that she was an innocent party. I can't tell you honestly if she knew what was going on. I think that she might have had some inclination that something wasn't right, but I don't know for sure if she would have. Who would justify their husband murdering somebody? Who would justify him doing all of this stuff? Who would stay with him? It, it is strange to me because, you know, they can murder somebody, but then they go home and they're a totally different father figure, husband figure. You know, if the roles were reversed, they go home and they're the wife figure, the mom figure. You know, it's not just men that murder people. I mean, it's women too. Kim also told us that Sherman Tyne had written to her from death row. 
after they were convicted was, and that he was sent to jail or prison was, I did, I think, receive one letter from Shermantine wanting me to come and visit him. And I said, no. While on death row, Shermantine has been visited numerous times by bounty hunters Leonard Padilla and Rob Dick, along with some other people, including Joanne Hobson's mother, Miss Shelley. If you remember from our earlier episode, while in court, Shermantine said that he knew where Joanne Hobson was buried and that he would tell Miss Shelley if she went to visit him on death row. Miss Shelley tells us about what happened next and the process she went through. Well, I have to fill out the papers. It was, it took a couple months to go, you know, get it all approved and all that. After I got approved, I went up there. I had to go up to San Quentin. And at that time, when I went up there, he was on death row. So it was like a hill, like an incline, a hill, you know, because death row inmates are on top of the hill. So I had to go climb that hill and go into the, you know, visiting, well, not visiting quarters, but the first one I went through where they, you know, put you through and you have to go through the detector machine and this and that, you know. And then from there, I had to go up another incline and go through another inspection thing. And then at the top of the hill, I went into the, uh, the death row people are and they put me in a room about the size of a small bathroom and they had like chain link fences you know in sections and I was put into one of these sections and locked into the you know in into the gate thing and Wesley come in and he sat across from me wasn't handcuffed or anything. And his knees and my knees were like maybe six inches apart from touching each other. And I sat in a chair and he sat across from me and we talked. We asked Miss Shelley if she was scared when she visited Shermantine. Was I scared? I was a little bit nervous, but I wasn't scared. I was determined to find out where my child was. Us in the family, we had gone on, like, down into fields. I made Debbie Sheffield take me to where they found the body of Robin Armentrout. And she took me down there, and she reassured me that Joanne was not anywhere in that area. Because I guess they searched it and all kinds of stuff, you know. Now, like I say, I'm talking... Years ago, so my memory might not be as clear as what it should be. But I asked him, you know, about Joanne and stuff like that. And he just said that he knew Lauren had had a date with her and he killed her. Which, you know, like I say, I can't remember all the stuff I asked him. Because I asked him a lot of, a lot of questions. You know, he just said he wanted to get to know me and he wanted to talk to me about my child and that's what he did that's what we talked about i had been going up to san quentin for 15 years he looked at me as if i was a mother figure to him so some of the stuff you know 
that he said to me, I showed no emotion, no shockness or, you know, nothing like that. Because I knew if I did, he might feed on what I thought, you know, or, you know, whatever. But at that point, I didn't think there was too much that could shock me. I was concerned about finding my child. And he did write me a letter when I came back from San Quentin. He wrote me a letter and he said, Miss Shelley, I will tell you this. Before they put me to death, I will tell you where Joanne is at. We asked Miss Shelley if she thought Shermantine was using the visits and the letters that he writes to her to relive events, asking her what Joanne was like, etc. To tell you the truth, I really don't know. And at that point in time, I really didn't ponder on something like that. My whole thing was I needed to know where my child was. I even told him, Wesley, you know, I'm getting older. I cannot die without knowing where my child is. And I said, you know, I may not have that many years left. And I said, the same goes for John Vanderheim. He's an older man. And that man needs to know where his daughter is, too. You know, I was trying to get him to start coming clean. And eventually in time, he did start talking, you know. And I, when I'd go up there, I'd say, Wesley, you need to let these families know where their loved ones are. I said, you need to come clean. You know, you need to come clean with yourself, God, and everybody. You need to get this off your chest. I said, because I know when you're sitting in that dark cell at night, you're being haunted by these people, you know? And I, I did not believe that Wesley had anything to do with my child's death. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't. You know, I think, I think, you know, once he got to know me and seen, you know, I was a good mother, you know, I took good care of my kids, you know, I had no help, you know, taking care of my kids. And I think, I think maybe he had a softness for me. I don't know. Because when I go to see Wesley, he's very respectful to me very respectful and one time he did hug me and it scared me and I told him Wesley I do not like anyone touching me unless I want them to touch me and he said Miss Shelley I'll never touch you again you know as far as hugging me or anything like that I said because I didn't like that at all you know and if, if that would continue I won't come up here no more so when I go up there to see Wesley he gets real excited and stuff to see me, you know. And uh, also, what he does is he takes my hand and kisses it, which is fine with me, you know. But I, 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 I don't like being touched unless I want you to touch me. I'm funny like that. Miss Shelley told us the information she was able to get from Shermantine about her daughter Joanne during the visits. Well, he had told me that Joanne was buried with a with a pregnant girl, and he said it was a pregnant black girl, which, of course, color doesn't mean anything to me. You know, I'm not that racist or whatever. And so that was always on my mind, you know. I And he told me 
after he had said about the well, he had told me that the well had 10 to 12 people in it. And so when they did find out about the well, and which Sheriff Moore knew about Joanne was in that well in 2004, and he didn't go after and start digging on the well until Wesley started talking in 2012. So that man made me wait eight more years in agony about my child for no reason. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Joanne Hobson's sister, Michelle, tells us what it was like at home after Joanne went missing. It was like Joanne went away on vacation and she was going to come home. We always thought she was going to come home. You know, you always think, oh, she's going to come home. I couldn't go anywhere. If I went to the fair, if I went to Sacramento, if I went to the grocery store, I'm looking at people to see if that's my sister. Everywhere I went, I would look for my sister for years and years and years. It was really hard, really hard for me because I felt responsible. I'm the responsible person. But I always thought, why didn't they just get me? It would have been better. While on death row, Shermantine started drawing maps of locations where bodies could be found, which he shared with those who visited him. We asked Michelle her thoughts on the maps, Herzog's suicide, and her mother visiting Shermantine on death row. I'm glad that he was willing to give up the whereabouts of others. I got it. I want to back up because I was going to tell you the lady that I know that works for the district here with me saying all that nice stuff about Warren. Well, we were both walking in to work that day when he died. And it, it's so weird because I never end up walking in with her ever. And I was like, oh my God, Lauren died. And she goes, what? I said, Lauren's dead. And she goes, Oh, my God, and da-da-da. And I said, oh, my God, that's the end of that. We're never going to know anything, ever. I felt that when he died, it was good. That was it. We were going to, nobody's going to know anything. We're never going to find my sister, nothing. 
And then from mom going up speaking with Wesley, she was always very, very, uh, she was very good with him. She didn't show any fear. She didn't show anything. And I always told her, Mom, I'm so glad if it was me, I'd be arrested because I would try and kill him where he sat. I'm telling you right now. I'm, I'm not a better person. There's no way in hell am I a better person because I believe if you kill somebody, I deserve to kill you. It's that simple. And when they say, when you die, if you repent, you go to heaven. How's that? How can that happen? He willingly did this to all these people and he gets to say, oh, sorry, my bad. No, there's no my bad. No, 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 no. But my mom's got more strength than I could ever think of, ever. I, I don't think I could do what she did. She was very straight up forward when she was gonna go. She was, I'm going. Okay, mom, be careful. Yeah, my mom, she just, she, she just, bit the bullet and did what she had to do for her child. And and her doing that, because he always promised her, he said, Michelle, before, once my appeals are up, I'm gonna tell you where your daughter is. He sure did. And, and he ended up telling. And that's one thing I can say, he stuck to his word. I can't say he's a man of his word, but he stuck to what he, told my mom he was going to do, and he followed through. And for Sheriff Moore to not pay any credence to what he drew or what he was telling is a smack in the face to all the victim's parents, all their families. Because if you're gonna go dig up this well, why can't you go follow through with the rest of it? He's not lying. I don't believe he's lying right now. I think he seriously put it out there. They, they like, got him to be a halfway human person, to have some, some maybe, I hope, remorse and want to amend for what he's done at some point for these other people. We're, we have closure, we know where my sister is, but it'll never be over, never. The maps Shermantine has drawn are huge. They all fit together and fill a whole wall. They're very detailed with little notes on them, marking important spots. For example, one extract shows a road, a mobile home, a tree line and a well with the description. This is Herzog's boneyard. It may be covered, written on it. Another shows a road, a pond, a brush line, a ravine and a locked gate with a description. This road only goes to the mountain. The whole side is a ravine. This is where Shermantine says Cindy is buried. After Leonard Padilla confronted Herzog and Herzog's subsequent suicide, Leonard and Rob Dick were convinced that Shermantine's maps were accurate and it was time to start searching. The first area they decided to concentrate on was where Shermantine said Chevy and Cindy were buried. We were fully behind West now. Like, holy crap, he's right. Because, you know, Basically, we confronted Lauren. Lauren killed himself. We know we were off here. So again, we got to go back. That's when Paul contacted me. And he's like, you know, retired sergeant, Mono County, and got Buster. Buster's claim to fame is they go overseas to these war, where there's wars, like they came back from Tarawa, and they find missing soldiers that were never found. 
And then they do a recovery and they bring him back to a military funeral. So Buster's, you know, like this hero dog and everything. And he's here in California. So he's like, hey, you know, I'm here. Can I help? And I'm like, yeah, because we don't know what a bone looks like. So let's go back. Here's the thing. You got to understand, we're not recovering. All we're doing is we're taking the dog. And what's in John's mind is, just like all of us, we got to believe the dog. You know, we don't see Cindy. We don't see a bone. But Buster is on the side of the hill, alerting where Wes says, you know, here and here and here and here. And, it, and it's it's pretty good ravine. There was times where we had to hold Buster, you know, from sliding down the hill, you know, trying to figure this out. So we just know, but we don't know, you know, because the problem we had at that moment was we can't recover a bone because then you immediately have to call law enforcement. So we just have a location, and now what's next? And, you know, something I'm leaving out of this, if you want, real quick. So when we did that dig and didn't find anything, so the next day, Leonard's like, well, we got to get law enforcement involved. We don't know what we're doing. We can't, we can't figure it out. So he called Calaveras, talked to a sergeant, and said, look, I got maps from the killer. He says, Cindy's on the property, blah, blah, blah. Sergeant's like, well, fax them to me. So he faxes the map. And then the sergeant says, all right, tomorrow, let's meet at 10 o'clock and we'll come up with a plan and figure it out. So we go up to Calaveras, 10 o'clock, we're standing there till noon. Nobody's coming, he's not around, what's going on? This patrol deputy pulls up and he's like, what are you guys doing here? You know, recognizes Leonard with his hat. What are you guys doing here? Well, we're waiting for Sergeant so-and-so to have a meeting. He goes, what are you talking about? They've been up the hill since eight digging. We're like, what? So we race up to the house. Of course, there's crime tapes. Can't oh. get past, can't get up there, can't point anything out. And we're talking to him. And, you know, San Joaquin detectives are there, not shuffled this time. I don't even know if it was Shand- Shanda then. I guess it was, but I don't think I knew her then. So anyway, but I know that San Joaquin's there, Calaveras is there, and they're digging. And they're not finding anything. They're digging, they're digging, they're digging. And so Leonard is doing what he's good at. He's talking to the property owner and he's like, look, they have a search warrant until sundown. Sergeant has already said, if we don't find anything, we're not coming back. You know, the map's just garbage. So we had talked the property owner, who's this older guy, into letting us come back and continue on. And even the sergeant's like, oh yeah, you guys go ahead and continue on, you know, if you need to. We're like, okay. You know, we stayed there till sundown. They didn't find anything. They even got a, a bulldozer up and dug, and, and they didn't find anything, so they left. So we're talking to the sergeant. We're like, okay, so you guys searched here. We had dug there, so we'll look at these two spots. I mean, because, you know, it's one day, and again, you're dealing with a big tree, six foot behind a big tree, and there's 50 of them up there, and we hadn't gone up with Paul yet. So we have this agreement that we're going to come back and continue on. By the time we drove from Wes's house to here, I had an email from the property owner saying, do not go back to the house. If you go to my property, you'll be arrested for trespassing. Sergeant said, you're not to come back. I'm like, Sergeant said, it's your property. Well, why? So we were 86 basically from the property, couldn't go back. Now, I kind of get it though, from the law enforcement side is because, could you imagine if we found her the next day after they spent a day and couldn't find her? So yeah, we just couldn't go back. Nobody can go back, it was done. So then on this day, when we found the hits for Cindy, 
We went back to the property with Buster. So now we've got the hits. It's late at night. We all come back. We know where Chevy is, but it was already getting dark when we found Chevy. We had already found all these hits with Cindy. So we come back. Wes doesn't see anything happening in the news. So he draws a very detailed map based off of all this going back and forth, exactly where Cindy is and exactly where Chevy is behind the tree. And then in Linden, he draws the road, the house, 25 bodies here, TV antenna, 10 bodies here. And he sends that map. Now, again, as fast-paced as everything's going right now, you got to understand that like basically nobody was paying attention all these years over the letters and the phone calls. Because, you know, in prisons, the only time anybody scans mail is for contraband or for escape attempts. But now what's happened is the sheriff put in a play where if a letter comes from Wes, it goes to San Joaquin. They copy it, sit on it for five days, figure out if they need to do something before us, and then it gets mailed to us in the same thing. The audio calls were being transcribed and sent right to the sheriff. I mean, all this was going on. So Wes writes this very detailed map, sends it, doesn't go to us, goes to the sheriff. The sheriff comes out based off the map and finds Cindy and Chevy. This article where, you know, the sheriff's like, through our investigation, we located Cindy and Chevy behind the tree and on and on. Which again, we didn't care because we couldn't recover anyway. Like we get back to the office and Leonard's like, all right. I'm like, yeah, now what? We know where they're at. What's our next step? And he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Home Depot. We're going to get 10 guys. Like, dude, we are not getting 10 guys from Home Depot to go up and look for bones. So they do the recovery. They recover Cindy. And at the time, I mean, I guess you guys have talked about all that, where they only recover partial. Because at this point, it's almost like a race. Like, things are going so fast. They're like, okay, we got this with Cindy. Okay, let's go over here to Chevy, you know, and let's do that. And Chevy was an easy one because, you know, shallow grave right behind the tree. So she was all contained. So they recover Chevy. And then, of course, so February 2012, Cindy and Chevy are both recovered. Had the funeral for Cindy. She was missing 14 years. I called Paula, you know, before they did victim notification, told Paula that we got her daughter. I mean, she was screaming. She was so excited. She was just like, oh, my God, are you serious? You finally got her? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Paula, though, you understand that it's remains. And she goes, I know, honey. We just wanted to live long enough to bring her home, you know, because they're in, they're in Tennessee now. So they got her back 27 years. John Vanderheide and Cindy's father was there with Rob trying to find Cindy. He tells us what he remembers. Shermantine had drawn a map to where she was at. Well, the sheriffs had the map. They went out there. And we could see where they had dug around, where that they they right like he said it was is right there by where the gate was and, and down a little ways. Well, I when I went out there, I I told Robin and Padilla that this is not uh, this is not the right spot. Now, see what had happened is that they had a few years after he got incarcerated or something. Uh, they they had a wildfire up there and it burnt down and they moved the gate clear up within a mile of the, of the road. And anyway, they got up there and that's where the sheriff said that his map was no good because of the fact that they did exactly where they got somebody, out, got somebody right out there where 
he'd map showed and there was nobody there. Well, that's when we went past the fence that says no trespassing, of course. And so we walked by up and I said, this is where the gate was. And we went on up there and took Buster and all of them up there. And, and uh, I went up and I said, uh, and he hit on the place. And I said, yeah, right up there is where the gate was. Exactly where it was when Sherman Tang drew the picture, what he remembers. I said, yeah, I said, this, I just told him that's where Cindy's at. It's not a relief. It, it just, it's, 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 a, it's just kind of a feeling of, of, guys, you had that little tiny hope. But then when you find her, that diminishes all the hope there is at all. I knew they were up there. They had announced that they were going to go back up there. And they went back up there, and then I got a call from one of the sheriff's officers, not more. One of the sheriff's officers said they had found a skull, a jawbone, and a femur, femur bones or something. And that's the only three pieces they found. And that they said they were going to go back up later to check for more, but they had identified it as being Cindy by the dental. We spoke to Cindy's sister, Kim, and asked her if she could talk us through the events leading up to Cindy's remains being found. You know, we had searched and searched and searched for days. And then I had talked to Leonard Padilla and I talked to Rob a little bit. And they were back and forth with Sherman Tyne. And they had told me that they had a location and that he was going to take the sheriff department out there and they were going to investigate it. And that is, the, I think, the one and only time that Steve Moore actually called me and said, we did find some remains. We did go out there. This is what we found. The day I got the phone call saying that they found her was a sigh of relief, a sigh of sadness, because that glimmer of hope that she may be alive, even though, even though we heard what happened, you still always have that glimmer. And... That all went out the window and all your emotions come rolling back and you just, you're sad, you're happy, you're relieved. need so many emotions. From interviewing other families who have had a missing family member, they almost feel like a big hole is left when the person is found as it is all consuming. We asked Kim if she had had the same experience. I chose to take a step back and move back to Wyoming because I couldn't take the drama. I couldn't take walking to a store and them saying, oh, hey, I saw you on TV last night. I'm so sorry about your sister. I needed to take a step back and put my family first. And that's what I had done. And it was a few years after I moved back that we had actually found her remains. So I was okay with, you know, taking that step back, but in the same sense, I was mad because I wasn't there to help find her. Um, so all these, like I said, you have so many emotions that go through your, through you that you don't even know if you're coming or going. We asked Kim how Cindy's disappearance had affected herself and her family. Overall, at first we were, you know, we were still devastated. In the very beginning, we were super sad, super just in denial that this could even happen in a small town. And as we kept going, some days was worse than others. 
to this day, how it has affected me is I am such a protective mom. I am such a protective daughter that I don't know what my parents are doing. If I don't know what my kids are doing or my grandkids are doing, I'm a nervous wreck. You know, if I can't be there to protect, say my mom has to go to the doctor or when she had, you know, and I can't be there because it's something serious, I freak out because I don't know how or what could happen. I have learned that you tell everybody in your life how you feel about them. You live each day to its fullest as if it's your last because you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And in particular, we asked her about her father, John van der Heiden. He's very protective. He's very, he's got a lot of anger to this day. He has a lot of anger. Knowing he's not going to have his baby back, he's protective of, you know, me and my kids. He's protective of my mom. But I see the anger and sadness when you look at him. To this day, Kim carries some guilt about what happened to Cindy due to her previous relationship with Lauren Herzog. She believed that things could have been different. I guess in hindsight, we all believe we could have changed the past. We hope one day Kim can find peace with this. What I could have done was, A, it would have been both of us in that bar, and I being the older one that I am, I would have been more protective. I would not have allowed her to go meet up with him or them. Even though, even though I say I would have been there to protect her, it probably would have been me instead of her because I am the forceful one. I am the protector of the family. I am the, the one that's gonna step and say, I'll do it, you don't need to do it, or I'll go get it, you don't need to go get it. I mean, so many emotions still go through my head to this day that I could have prevented it. Kim has some final words for our listeners. I just want to let everybody out there know that hold your loved ones close. Remember to live each day to the fullest, like I said before. You just never know. Don't go overprotective, mama bear, but just, just take an extra few minutes to say, hey, can you text me when you get there? Hey, can you give me a call when you land from the airport? Just take that extra few minutes and, and just show that you love your loved ones. And that's all I got to say. <laughs>